It's like being in a, a room full of nerds. Well, you have guys like Gator in there drinking all the alcohol up. <laughs> no. no, he got a golden <laughs> fiddle for that. <laughs> I believe they call Charles Barkley the round mound of rebound. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not as tall. <laughs> you just can't rebound. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. episode of the Crossing Gate podcast is sponsored by Pinocchio Communications, the preferred publicity firm for explaining your railroad of lies. Yes, Pinocchio Communications, better known as PC, can help you explain away almost any trope that you want to include for your layout story. They are experts at deflecting annoying comments guests may make by saying you are a freelance prototype modeler. If they don't buy that, they can switch it up and tell everyone you are a prototype freelance modeler. PC uses such famous distraction tactics as the railroad is owned by an eccentric billionaire. The railroad is actually a museum. And the all-time favorite, there are donuts over there. Do you have trouble finding a reason to run a DDA-40X and a 2104 on the same train? PC can help. Putting a model of your grandfather's farm on your Southern California layout, but his farm was in central Indiana? PC is your answer. So next time some so-called expert calls you out for having a 78 Trans Am on your 1954 freelance coal hauler, just call Pinocchio Communications. Your railroad of lies will have the backstory it deserves. Not available in all states or for any former Rock Island or Minneapolis and St. Louis lines. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Crossing Gate podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by William Sampson. Hello, everybody. Dan Dosa. Hi, everybody. And Heath Hurwitz. Hi, everyone. And this time, we're going to be talking about small layouts on the object of less is more. All of our panel today has probably non-basement filling layouts. So we'll, we'll go with that. We'll talk about the art of this in that area. And I'll throw this open to you, William. Maybe you can explain how you like to view the smaller layouts. Well, I guess to start out with, I always look at any railroading, large or small, as a canvas. So it's a blank canvas to start with. And that goes down to your materials, your homosotan wood. And I think that's a very basic way of being able to look at it because then you add to that canvas. It's the medium you might use, whether it's the ground foam, the paint, uh, any of the textiles that you're adding to it to build that surface. We're working in a three-dimensional space. So I always kind of look at it as not getting crazy and just splattering paint everywhere, like a Jackson Pollock, who is an artist that's well-known for just splattering paint. People look at it and say, well, that's not art. That's not you know creative. You look at your railroad and you start throwing track down everywhere. And people look at it and go, well, that's not, not a railroad. That's not the way you're supposed to do it. But you got to learn to get yourself there. Jackson Pollock was one of the first to do that type of paint. So then that's kind of how he learned his art and created his art. And the same goes for your track laying. When you're laying your track, you might start out with throwing it everywhere. 
and then start to realize that, no, I've got too much here. There's way too much on the railroad. And as you look at it that way, take a step back and start editing, deleting. They maybe even take all the track up and only put down a little bit because you look at it as it could be less is more. But at the same time, I still do look at people that have a lot on it. And if they're executing it well, that more, in my case, I've got most of my homosotas covered in track. That more is actually telling the story that I'm trying to achieve. Now, I know we had a conversation a little while back. Keith made a good point about the less is more, how he looks at it. You want to elaborate a little bit more on that, Heath? Kind of how you look at less is more or not more is less, just kind of how it's uh, interpreted. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the fortunate or unfortunate situation of having a very small space for my railroad. I initially thought a railroad had to be a loop of track, but I couldn't figure out how to get that loop of track into my space. So I started looking at the story of what I was trying to tell. Through that came to shelf layouts and smaller layouts and realizing that I didn't need a loop of track to tell my story. So the less is more really came down to what was the story I was trying to tell and a complete sort of rethinking of model railroading and layout design and everything for myself just because I couldn't have a loop of track. Dan, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? You know, you and, and Will have made some brilliant points. I'm also modeling a fairly small layout. It's about 15 feet long and varies in, uh, in width anywhere from eight inches to uh, about 32 inches. It's a small switching layout. It's the same kind of dilemma. First, this is the space I had, which was optimally available to use. So I start with, as Will said, I start with my canvas. My canvas is this big. Would I like a little bit bigger canvas? Yes. Would I like a gigantic canvas? No. And I'll talk a little bit about that also. Start with what you have. Within the confines of that space, then begins a very interesting creative process. And it comes back, again, to to things you both alluded to, but I'm going to pick up on your thoughts, Will, about artists. We're now thinking about what can be artistically expressed within the confines of that space. I can't possibly model completely the areas that I'm trying to model within my space. It's impossible. Now I have to start thinking about editing. I have to think about distilling out essential elements that I want represented and letting go of other elements. And that balancing of those things is about creating, for me, creating my story and expressing that. So I think that smaller layouts allow us to do that. And I don't know what you guys think about this. You know, the other thing to me is the story that was popular a few years back always was, well, if you build a small layout, then you'll be better prepared when you can finally build a real layout, i.e. a huge layout. I don't fully agree with that, but I do agree with this. William, I'd be curious about what you think on this one too in particular, that it's not about building necessarily a huge layout, but it does teach you a lot about what you need to know when you're planning to build your next layout. The Is it the next or is it the interpretation of the building of your skills, right? I look beyond... My railroad right now, I just have the Hiawatha Elevated District. It's a small section of track in Minneapolis. Dan and I are on the same, basically two block maybe length of a railroad that we're interpreting in our space because I'm kind of going closer to -to one-to-one. Dan's truncating and he's deleting stuff kind of as he goes along. But I'm looking at this as 
a layering process. And the layering process, even for an artist, is going to lay down a base painting. And as you lay a base painting down, then they add detail and they continue to do that. And you're doing that on your railroad too. Um, so that's how I look at it. I look at my room and I look at my railroad as a blank canvas. But then when I look at the details and the things that I need to extract from it or th things I need to change, a lot of that comes from operating it, bringing guys over, running it through the paces and then seeing it's like, okay, that worked, that didn't work. Um, you know, these cars I'm having issues with, these cars I'm not, so I'm able to make adjustments there. But when I do look at it, I didn't want the loop scenario because I was in an area that it wouldn't have been realistic to do a loop. And as Heath kind of alluded to, he said that he had his loop concept. And I think there are a lot of guys out there that do have a loop mentality where it's the round and round because you want the ability to run. My dad's railroad is a great example because he still has a loop ability. So if we have people over, he can run the loop. And that allows people to view trains without having to pay a whole lot of attention to the train. Was there a point when you, Heath, had your railroad and realized what was the aha moment that flipped that switch to get you away from your loop? Is there anything that you noticed that stood out? Yeah, when I got back into uh, model railroading a couple years ago, uh, I started with T-Track modules because I thought with my space, that's all I could really do. And I could work on a module on my desk and then I can move it off to the side and work on another one. But it, it really wasn't allowing me to, to use kind of the artistic word to express what I really wanted to get into with, with model railroading. And I really love the technology of this hobby. For me, I felt being able to tell the story through technology was important to me. Um, our interface with our railroad, how we used technology so that the human mechanical connection uh, could be made was important to me. I decided to make this time saver switching layout. And as I started researching it, I realized that I could add enough technology to it that I could set it up so that somebody could operate it remotely. And through the process of building this switching layout, I realized I didn't need a loop to enjoy model railroading. And operations was this term that I didn't understand. I had no concept of it. You know, wh why would I want to take a boxcar and put it on a siding when I can just watch it run, you know, run in circles? And I realized that I can get a lot of enjoyment out of actually operating the layout and using the technology interface that I was creating to tell my story. I do want to just mention one thing, go back to Dan had mentioned that, you know, people talk about building small layouts just as, you know, the experiment or the, the initial step to building a larger layout. So I, I kind of want to throw out there to the group, are small layouts just chainsaw layouts? Is the whole intention of a small layout just to eventually, you know, chop it up and build something different? You know, that's a, that's an excellent point, Heath. Uh, the, the answer, of course, for me is, is no, absolutely not. It can be. I think that there's multiple ways one can conceptualize a small layout. It can be the end point. This is the space I have. This is the layout I am building. I'm not planning to build another layout. And I think that is perfectly fine. In fact, I'm at that point where this may be the final layout I build. The second is it might be kind of like you alluded to with the, with the T-Track. You could be building a section of a layout that's going to be integrated into something larger at some point in time. And I think the third is what I was trying to say, but I don't think I said it too well. The idea that you're learning skills 
doing this. And you're learning the reality of the time skills, as William said, the investment in money it takes to build a model railroad. It's an eye-opener when you step from the stage of, hey, I doodled up this great plan on, on paper. It's got 23 turnouts. And then you go and look at what are those going to cost me? And you realize all of a sudden that this is not a workable project because you just don't have the resources financially to do that. And so I think that to switch from the the artistic side to the engineering side, I think that sometimes it's teaching us a lot about what will it take to see a project through to, to completion? What kind of resources can we bring to that? I found it very telling when I was working on, on a smaller switching layout a few years ago, probably akin to what you're discussing. And they had, that took me this amount of time. That took me this amount of money, things. Do I really want to try to do something enormous? And I thought, no, I, I really don't, because that's not where I'm going to have the, all of the resources to do that. And of course, being the elder statesman of the group here, I think, well, and then what happens if someday my wife says, we're downsizing? <laughs> so I don't know what, what you guys think about, about those points as far as the ways in which a small model railroad might be con- conceptualized. Well, I think yeah. what you've got there, Dan, is that you have, if you want to say it's a railroad, that's one thing. If we're going to say that, I like Heath's point in saying it's a chainsaw layout, because I would say, yes, it is only in the fact that you've got to be willing to walk away and just throw it in the dumpster if it doesn't work out. Now, for people that want to look at something and go beyond that, I work on, and I'm going to show the guys here, but I work on, it's a 15 inch by 10 inch. No, most people don't see this, but if you've ever seen any thumbnails on the videos I've done on YouTube, most of them are shot on this piece of material. And what it is, is it's a, a section half inch plywood. I actually have a hunk of masonite sandwiched in between a piece of homosote. And I'm doing all of my practice techniques on this piece of 15 by 10 homosote. I've got two sections of track on it. I got a little piece of concrete. That is my chainsaw layout. So to Heath's point, do you throw it away? I just keep going over this thing. Dan gave me some chinchilla powder which is a a weird material that people might not think you'd put onto a railroad. I didn't think so either, but I wasn't going to put it on my railroad. He meant it for rooftops and a few other applications. But I thought, boy, this stuff is so fine. It might look good as a ballast. So the ballast on this particular one is chinchilla powder. It's a very fine kind of light gray powder. It does have a little specular highlights in it, which for me, from a photography standpoint, I would dull coat it or try to knock down some of those little sharp, bright spots that are on it. But the point is, is that you can have yourself a canvas just like, and I always refer back to artists, but Monet, when he painted his gardens, there are a lot of canvases that were there that he was painting very loose sketches. And I call those the sketch drawings. And this is my sketch. I have a canvas you can work on. You can kind of play with. So to your question, Heath, yes, I call, I think your railroads can be chainsaw ready, but in Dan's point that he even kind of made, you are learning as you go. So if you do have to move into a smaller space, now you're probably going to have to let your railroad go, but you learned along the way. Tom, do you ever experience any of that type of stuff? Is there stuff that you practice or, or do to be able to kind of evolve the actual railroad itself from, like Heath said, a chainsaw to modular? Because you're in a little bit bigger railroad of the three of us, you've probably got the biggest one, but did you incrementally get there? 
I wish I was smarter when I started it and tried that. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I chainsawed too many parts of my layout. But no, I agree that you know, like he says, it's a small layout doesn't have to be a chainsaw. It can be a platform for experimentation. Heath does a great job at this. Dan and William also do a great job. Has I know Dan has changed things on his layout as it's grown. William, you've changed prototype, and Heath just keeps. You keep adding all these wonderful electronics. I don't think with the money and the time we've invested that these would be a chainsaw. And I agree with Dan on that. But let me go back to a couple of points. And I like Williams that you talked about this canvas. And that throws it to Dan about editing. When you have less space, you really have to edit. You have to pick what you want. You can't have everything anymore. What scenes do I want? And then I like how Heath, and I'll throw this over to you, Heath, about electronics. You overcame the loop, the continuous running by use of the motorman. And I think that's ingenious. And maybe you can talk about that as a gateway to the technology you've invested into your layout. Yeah. So Iowa Scaled Engineering, who makes the proto throttle, also makes a device called the motorman. And I've sort of fallen in love with this device because it allows me to give the loop concept, but only on a straight piece of track. And essentially it's a shuttle or a trolley track controller, uh, works with DCC and DC. So I had originally set it up on a single shelf, an eight inch deep shelf. I had set up a piece of HO track, a piece of N scale track, and I had two motormans, one on each track. And I could run either a DC or a DCC locomotive with a couple cars on it back and forth. And it gave me that feeling of continuous running in a point-to-point scenario. So the logical next step is then you add a turnout. And that is what led me again to that switching puzzle that I ended up making. For me, the technology is kind of like the, the veins and the nerves and the arteries of your railroad. And while you don't necessarily see them, they are ultimately what breathes life into uh, what you're trying to create. So I've been doing a lot of the focus on the behind the scenes side of model railroading and not as much on the scenery part. I think it was Dan mentioned about changing things. I mean, I have a very small space, but currently my track is not glued down. I just have it pinned down with track nails because I am new to operations. I might want to move tracks and stuff like that. So I'm focusing on the electronics, the operations, even little things like lighting and some small signaling things. But knowing that at any time I can just pull up the track and and change out one of my industries so that I can better tell my story once I once I decide what I really want to accomplish. Both you, Heath, and you will have thrown out a couple of points that that I really agree with. It's taken me. Uh, a lifetime to learn these. The first is don't rush to glue down your track. My track's now with, with, with track spikes. On a semi-regular basis, I'll be looking at it like I just did last night. It's got a little kink in it, or that's not quite right, or that rail separated more than I wanted it to. Maybe I ought to just pull up the nails and move it around just a little bit so that it flows better. And I was always the guy Lay the track up. What do I want to do next? I want to get that track ballasted. So there I am with my glue and my ballast. And if I screw something up, there I am with a, a scraper and uh, uh, a lot of cuss words. 
you guys younger and smarter than me figured out and Will brought it up. Testing techniques before you use them on your layout. Uh, oh my gosh. I don't like to because I'm impatient, but yeah, if I don't, I pay the price. And like, you know, that's the next one on my deck is redoing my backdrop. And I've looked at some techniques doing a backdrop and I'm thinking, yeah, that looks really good. I should get, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then there's another part of me saying, no, Dan, get a piece of cardboard and make sure that you know how to do this. That's like, duh, I'm learning. (laughs) It's funny that you say that about don't glue down the track because the first turnout I added was on a T-track module and I tore it up three times and glued it down four times. I completely understand what you're saying. You would have thought after the first two times I tore it up, I would have learned, but uh, there are some some lessons you have to experience many times in, until you truly get it. I knew you'd fit in with our group because we've all done that. So. <laughs> well, that is, I think that, I think it works just in the fact that the not nailing it down, this goes back to even my railroad. There's three out of the four of us here have track that's not nailed down or glued down rather. And that is because we're kind of in the editing phase, but is there a point where you finally decide it it might be the operations? I think Heath, you hit on it when you said that, you know, Oh, I might, I'm just getting into operations. I might want to add this, that, or the other. Dan is guilty of adding a crossover in an area to improve his railroad. And he's able to do that because it's not glued down. So just because it's not glued in and it's not ballast doesn't mean that you're, you're not succeeding because you're learning as you go along. And maybe Tom can speak to the three of us and just say, when do you get to a point where you finally think I'm going to cement this thing in. So then I'm going to have to use a putty knife to get it back up. Yeah. Dan, what, what caused you to dig into your layout? You've been running to add those crossovers in in the back of the layout. Having learned just like Heath did my ill-fated crossover on my old switching layout that was replaced. Uh, I went through three of them before I finally got it to work. Thank you, Tom, <laughs> who uh, built me a live frog. Diamond. Frog yeah. Diamond. I'm, I'm good for something. Possible. I'm good for something. I didn't say. Yeah, I, I think that the crossover, I was looking at the operation on my interpretation of the Hiawatha line. Because of space limitations, I had ended up with a very short tail track. It wasn't realistic. I didn't like it. It always rankled me. And I was over for your layout, Will, with the, when we were operating, running through this crossover. And all of a sudden, I thought I could put a crossover in, and that probably would save the day for me. So I did. And it's it's made the operation, at least to me, it feels much smoother, much easier, uh, feels more realistic. And then the icing on the cake was talking with a friend of ours uh, who's an engineer on the commercial so I'm like, yeah, well, the crossover is there. It's just a little bit further down the track from where you're at. Uh, so you're okay putting it in. Now, do you think that it you guys spend more time in the track design, the track plan will say, when you have limited space than if you had the basement filler where you just say, I'm going to go around the walls and add a coal mine here and I got room for a yard there. I believe that people put more intense thought into planning a layout when you are limited. I know Dan and I went through this, but, and Heath kind of had a track plan by committee. He was brave enough to throw out his area 
to all of us goobers on YouTube and everyone suggested everything from the Norfolk Western to the Tehachapi Loop. But, you know, William, did you spend a lot of time or did you kind of know from your space on what you were going to do? Well, I was fortunate. I worked right off of some 1948 era Milwaukee Road survey maps. There were for plumbing or something for the city, but they obviously showed the right of way of the railroad. And that's what I worked from. And I highlight and I truncated it down. So when Dan even kind of alluded to it and he thought, well, when he ran mine, he thought, oh, well, that's kind of nice to have there. That's merely because that's what the prototype had. And it works that way because they would have it there for a reason. If they didn't need it, there's a pretty good chance that they would take it out. But when you're going through that whole process of planning, so much of it for me, I put servos under mine. I don't like reaching into the scene. So I did plan to make sure I didn't have braces underneath that were where a servo or a switch would be. I had to get all that stuff down and make sure that if I'm going to do this, I don't want an operator having to reach into the scene because the hands of God don't reach down and uncouple cars in real life. So I don't add that to my railroad. Now with Heath, you and your electronics, how do you plan when you do get a new electronic or what type of components are you integrating that you have to plan for it? I mean, you can't just stick stuff any random place, especially if it's a, a servo or something of that nature. Is there anything that you from the electronic side have added and had to either readjust or would recommend people use because the electronic is an advantage that has improved your railroad? Yeah, when people talk about uh, DCC wiring and DCC wiring being easier, they talk about just running a single bus line around their layout and just, you know, drop a bunch of feeders and just connect it all together and you're good to go. To do what I wanted to do, I decided that I wanted to create a lot of little blocks. And I created all those little blocks so that later, should I want to, it would be much easier to add uh, signaling. So I have insulated joiners everywhere. I've got probably more feeders on my layout than Thomas has on his layout, just because I'm planning ahead for wanting to add additional things. And we were talking about as well, the cost of adding electronics to a layout. And by having a smaller layout, does it cost less? And I'm not so sure that is necessarily true, depending on the story you're trying to tell. My time saver, for example, which is a four foot by 10 inch section of the layout, by far has significantly more electronics on it than the entire rest of the layout. So that section probably costs, you know, five times more than anything else. And I think that is just part of the process of experimenting and learning along the way as well is I put a lot of time and effort into figuring out and making mistakes. And while I didn't glue it down, I did also lay the track twice on the time saver. You know, you learn along the way as to which pieces of electronics you need and which pieces you don't. Whereas in the expanded part of the layout, I haven't added certain things yet. They might What's get the number one the thing future? then, Heath, that you'd recommend? Okay, so you say there's more in your time saver than the rest of the railroad. What is, just for a guy that's going to get into electronics maybe, what is the number one thing that you're putting on the rest of the railroad that you found most beneficial? So the next thing that I'm going to add to the rest of my layout that does exist on the time saver, I have LEDs that indicate what direction the switch is thrown in. 
for me, I can never quite tell what direction the switch is thrown in unless I get right up close on top of it. And I want to be able to operate knowing that I've got the switches in the right direction because that is, at least for me, the most common cause of derailments on my layout is that I, I think I've set something correctly and it's not. And adding lights to your turnouts is a pretty simple process. You can do it either you know, with switch motors or without switch motors. And either way, it just gives you that indication that gives me, I don't know if confidence is quite the right word, but gives me the confidence to know that I'm not about to, you know, send a locomotive into the back of another train or something because I've got a switch thrown incorrectly. It'd be well, interesting. I like that, that, though. Yeah, I, I, like do, I, like, I like that too. I think it'd be interesting to note now, I wish you counted before how many times you ran through a switch to when the lights come in and if they do make an effect. Because that's the thing, even in the prototype world, we're always trying to reinvent that light bulb because that's the number one thing on the prototype is running through a switch. You know, think the thing's huge and people still do it. Now, let me touch on the operations, you know, I, and I want to mention too that about Heath, if you haven't seen this time saver, Wyatt has a lot of money in it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It's hooked to JMRI. And he allows people from all over the world to log in on his time saver. And then you get operations. I've run it from my house here in Minnesota. I know people in Australia run it. And you can switch with his little SW switcher and he's got the cars. It's a lot of fun through JMRI that anybody can operate it. So I know there's a lot of electronics in it. But let's go to operations because one thing I've noted, all three of you have staging tracks. You've found some way to shoehorn in staging tracks so you can have multiple train operations. Dan, I'll go to you because having probably the smallest layout, you had some creativity to have dual staging tracks on each level. That was an interesting process. And again, thank you, Tom, for suggesting I build this on two levels as I have two switching districts that I've modeled. They're not connected. It's essentially two layouts. So I kind of like the old double maps, two mints in one. So, or, or certs, I guess it was. The fun thing with that is that I was able to stack the staging tracks and I've, they're set so I can run two trains for each level in each operating session, uh, which gives me a nice two-hour op session, which is about what I was going for. But you don't need staging tracks, but I like staging tracks. I just like the idea that my trains emerge into the scene much like actors emerge onto a stage and exit when when their part is over. Uh, to me, that just feels nice. So, and I know, William, you just expanded your staging, haven't you? Yeah, I, uh, I had the Hiawatha Elevator District is just a portion of what was originally planned and still kind of is because I have another room that's 25 by 20-ish in size that that's where stuff is supposed to eventually get their South Town Yard and the expansion of the railroad. But to the point on the staging, to be able to switch the railroad, I originally was just using two tracks, which would technically be the main and the passing track that I was starting the session on. And I thought, well, I don't want them to be sitting out here in the room, much like you said, Dan, where you've got your actors are standing right in the middle of the stage and it's just, all right, action, let's just start. I wanted them to come on, or you could even switch them out a little bit. And I did this by popping through into a closet. So I went 24 inches deep, 12 inches wide, and that footprint allowed me 16 additional car spots. And that wow. became something where 
I can really use that because 16 cars for an operator to switch and, and the grand total of cars on my railroad is 40. So really you're going to kind of almost be what you've got to pull out to switch in the industries. And then you're going to bring that back and it's all going to be able to fit and find a home. And then even as Heath had mentioned, he uses JMRI and I've mentioned numerous times that I have, so we won't bore you with it, but I do use it to turn my system over. And I end up taking those tracks and just naming them all and telling each one, this is going to be where the flower cars go. This is going to be where the regular hoppers go. This is where the air slides go. And that then the system can turn it over. But for me, visually, I can see on those staging tracks and be like, oh, okay, that those cars that are going to go there are going to end up going to this destination because they're this type of car. So to be able to kind of work within the program, that that's actually what kind of led me to it. And I don't know, Heath, if you find even from the operations side, how do you stage what you're going to do, even whether it's the time saver that you have people do or when you're running the layout itself? What do you go about in terms of operations and staging? So I haven't decided exactly which operations method I want to use yet. That's one of the uh, paralysis by analysis things that I'm dealing with right now is, is really delving into one. My staging yard and the amount of track that I have when we talk about track planning, I actually did spend a lot of time figuring out, okay, I have this amount of length of staging yard and I have this amount of space actually on the rest of my layout. So can I actually tell the story I want to tell? And do I have enough space to bring trains in and out of the layout? I was talking to Thomas actually recently about how I can operate the layout. We discussed storing certain trains actually within the industry and starting them there. And we've talked about starting other trains in the staging. Currently, the time saver basically resets itself. I have a JavaScript program that you can select various challenges and the challenges tell you where to spot the cars. So you basically just hit a button and it gives you a new list of spots. So wherever the cars are, you would just move them to the new spot. When you finish that one, you could just hit the button again. So for the time saver, there isn't actually any staging for it. Once I tie it into the entire layout though, the goal is, is that I will bring a train from my main yard and drop it off at the time saver for then the person operating the time saver to then run that puzzle. I like that. That's the, uh, you're evolving though. I mean, taking something that obviously is existing and I like how you're integrating that. That's cool. We talked earlier about having to learn some mistakes on our own and learning some other things from other people. And I think that's one of the things that the community has given to us, especially over this last two or three years where the online presence has increased significantly, is I learned a lot about what I would actually need to put into the layout to meet my goals that probably saved me several versions of my layout. So there were some lessons I learned myself and there are there's still to this day things that I think I, I know better and I'm going to do it my way. But ultimately, I did save a lot of time by reaching out to the community and saying, hey, like, does this make sense? Here's my story. Do you think that my story can be told on this layout? Yeah. And I think that's important where you get the ideas because I like learning from other people's mistakes. And then I also like learning from their victories. You know, Dan and William know my my line is, if you steal from me, you've stolen twice. 
So, well, so we'll get down to the end here and I'll start with you, Dan. One of the things you had that you were able to do with your small layout during building was you could build it on its side. You didn't have to crawl under a large layout to wire or install switch throws. Can you explain that a little bit? Oh my gosh. Well, old knees don't like crawling under the layout so much. Because my layout is a long shelf set on shelf brackets, I realized I could just tip the thing up on end and I could do all of my under layout wiring right there, uh, which was just, it made the whole process just delightful. I have my buses in place for my DCC and I have feeders coming down. Uh, And the other piece that I did was I used these things called T-tap connectors, which you can get on Amazon. They take a little bit to learn how to use, but there are no soldered connections under my layout. The only soldering I'm doing is when I'm soldering feeders to the track. Otherwise, I'm not soldering anything. I'm doing everything with connectors. And this has worked out really nice, particularly when I take one of my double throw, double pull switches that I use to not only route my turnouts, but also the power. And I find out I routed it backwards. So I can I can re connected in a matter of seconds. Very, very handy tools to use, but it's been just delightful to be able to do that. Yeah, that that was a real bonus to do that. And then Heath, as you're building this layout, what lessons would you pass on to someone as they know they're going to build a smaller layout or they've realized that? What's a couple of good teaching points that you've come across? I know for myself, one of the things I struggled with, especially with looking out in the world and seeing what other people are doing is you have this idea that to be a model railroad or you've got to have the big, huge basement layout. And that is, you know, that's the goal. Like that's like to achieve the role of model railroader. It it needs to be huge. And I hope at least through what I'm doing, people can see and experience for themselves that you don't need a lot of space and you can actually have a lot of model railroading and be a model railroader, you know, even if all you have is the top of your desk, you know, you can still be a model railroader. And the long-term goal for this layout is eventually to have two operators present in this room, in this eight foot by nine foot room, as well as one operator remotely. And it's the technology that is going to allow me to do that. And um, I was going somewhere, and now I don't know where I was going. Well, <laughs> yeah. I like it. I, I like it. Good. You are a model <laughs> railroader. Yeah, that's a, but, uh, yeah. no. I, I like it. I think that's there is no qualifications on basement filling and people walking around. And we'll wrap it up with William because you're you're good friends with Tom K. Tom Klamoski, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And he Tom's even wrote guy. the book called the right size layout building the right size building the right size layout excellent so maybe you can talk about some of the points he has and what you've learned well i would say first and foremost is um you know reaching out and connecting i you know even to heath's point he had the ability to operate from distances you know heath's not even he's in new york city right now here we are in minneapolis we're all in our own homes having these conversations and that's where it even started with Tom. Tom had his YouTube channel doing the Georgia Northeastern. And with his railroad, 
it was the influence that came from him to nudge me along. Cause I would fully say the Hiawatha elevator district wouldn't be where it's at without Tom's influence. And in part, he had a motivation. He was getting the book put together and was asking to get content. So that helped spur things on, but doing it, just doing it, as Heath said, you could have your desk and that's enough to be able to build upon. As Tom even points out in his building the right size layout is not the idea of building an empire. You know, you aren't the actual James J. Hill, the empire builder. You are Dan Dosa in Minneapolis building your Hiawatha Elevated District. That's who you are. You're not looking to buy the CBQ and have the NP and, and put all this stuff together, nor do we need to cover it from Seattle to Minneapolis, down to Chicago, the distances that we're covering. Because I know, Heath, even in your case, keeping it small, I love the idea to be able to take somebody that's not even in the room with him to then integrate and operate with two people that are. How cool is it that he'll be able to drop cars off for somebody that might be in Minneapolis or Delaware or California, wherever they may be, and they're operating right with them. So the advancement of technology, that's obviously huge. That's awesome. It's great. Not getting overwhelmed and having a bunch of uh, ideas that bombard you and bog you down. Keeping it small, keeping it simple, keeps it a lot more streamlined. And as I always kind of look at it from an art perspective, again, if you look at Gothic architecture, we'll say Notre Dame, uh, that the cathedral has a bunch of added details that are excessive. And then you can go to New York and we got out in New York, they're the Guggenheim. And that is very modern and simple. You're taking two totally different buildings and look at two totally different styles. But do you need to build Notre Dame? No, you can simplify and do the Guggenheim and it's going to be pulled off beautifully. So I say, keep it simple, have fun with it. And really, we like the history of it. And I think that's what's kind of interesting when you do look back at artists or architecture or anything of that nature. But to be able to develop and create something that you can own, but don't overwhelm yourself in the process of doing it. That's my kind of takeaway. And I think Tom does a great job with building the right size layout. So if you're looking for a book, grab it. And any content, I know Heath is a YouTube channel. You can pop on and check his out. Tom has his, the Split Rock Mining Company. These are great resources to be able to tap into. But a, a big part of it is the community and the community of these guys that we've been chatting with. It's great. But Tom, we always appreciate you allowing us to have the conversation and chatter about this stuff. But that's all I've got in regards to uh, building the right size layout. All right. Thank you, William. You know, I agree. It is community. And We'll wrap up the points here. There are a lot of advantages to a, a smaller size layout, as we talked about. You can still share the hobby, and you're still a model railroader, as Heath points out. Keep it small, simple, streamlined. I think we'll wrap it up saying that less is more. So with that, we'll end this episode, and you guys can all say good night. Good night, y'all. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. The Crossing Gate Podcast presents... Real Men of DCC. Real Men of DCC. Today we salute you, Mr. Custom Painting Scratch Building Guy. Mr. Custom Painting Scratch Building Guy. Making masterpieces out of toothpicks and marshmallows. You're living the real American dream. Getting asked by fellow modelers to do work for peanuts. I'll give you 50 bucks. Sure, there's danger, 
fumes, no blueprints, gluing yourself to a chair with nobody to set you free. Living on the edge. Your keen instincts tell you to go to the next step. It will cover up any mistakes that you may have just made. And if that doesn't work, who cares? You're an MMR. Master Model Railroader. So pour yourself a glass of Ensign Morgan, crazy gluer of resin. Cause we all know the details get tiny and you go cross-eyed. Mr. Custom Painting Scratch Building Guy. Listening to The Crossing Game, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts. And um I was going somewhere, and now I don't know where I was going. <laughs> well, yeah. I like it. I, I like it. good. You are a model <laughs> router. Yeah, that's it.